Denver, Batch 2, Bonus Episode 1, Interview with Brent Butt. A lot has happened this batch of messages, and there's a whole lot more to come, so I thought we'd jump into an interview on one of our off weeks. As you know, I'm researching behind the scenes. Anything from YouTube documentaries and books to actually getting to sit down and speak with authors, experts, and enthusiasts. I'm looking for help. I'm, I'm looking for information. But most of all, I guess I'm looking for someone else who believes. In this week's interview, I was able to catch an hour of time with the Canadian comedy icon, Brent Butt creator and star of the hit TV shows Corner Gas and Corner Gas Animated. Brent is also a prolific stand-up comedian, and his debut novel, Huge, a dark psychological thriller, will be hitting shelves in 2023. See, I've been a big fan of Brent's for ages, and in being a fan, I knew of Brent's deep love and enthusiasm for all things Sasquatch. That's what I needed next. I've heard audio of the thing, and now I want to talk to someone who at least wants to believe Bigfoot exists. Someone that might not think I'm crazy if I told them everything. So without further ado, Brent Butt. Okay, so uh, we will begin now. Uh, thank you very much, Brent, for sitting down with us today uh, to discuss all things Sasquatch. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's two of my favorite things, Sasquatch and sitting down. This is like a dream gig for me. Now, for those that don't know Brent, uh, Brent Butt is a comedian, actor, writer, uh, soon to be author or technically author and today sitting down with us to be a Sasquatch enthusiast. So right off the bat, I do have to ask you, you are from the prairies. I am pretty far from Sasquatch country. How does somebody like you become uh, a Sasquatch enthusiast? Um, I can tell you how it happened to me. Exactly. I remember the moment very clearly, actually we were my mother and father and I were at a friend's house, they lived out in a farm and, um, and they had a kid about my age and my father worked with this guy. So they were friends from work. Anyway, we'd gone out there for dinner. So after dinner, I'm on the floor drawing as I was prone to do. The 90% of my childhood was just drawing. Um, and they were talking, my dad and Joe is the guy. This big, enormous man, Joe, that he worked with. He's from Hungary and he was uh, about six foot six. He was a huge man. Anyway, I, I over as they were talking, I was kind of overhearing their conversation. And Joe said, Herb, that was my dad, Herb, Herb, you hear about this uh, thing that they say is in the woods, this Sasquatch thing. It's a big, hairy thing, 10 feet tall, this thing. People are seeing it. Have you heard this? And my dad was like, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about that. And, but I was, I mean, just him saying that I was fascinated by it. And he started to recount some of these stories that he'd heard people, you know, camping in the woods or whatever, seeing this thing. And I began, I immediately began drawing it. It ca just captured my imagination. I drew, I drew, it was very much, it was very uh, Lon Chaney's werewolf looking thing that I drew. And I didn't really have a good concept of what 10 feet was. <laughs> And so he was closer to like King Kong size when I drew him. He, I remember I was holding the Sasquatch, I drew that Sasquatch holding a car under his arm, like, like you would hold a football for scale. So I didn't really have a good concept of what 10 feet was, 
but he Joe was a big guy and he sounded impressed by the size of this thing. So I thought, well, hell, if Joe thinks it's big, it's got to be pretty enormous. How, how close were your drawings? How close were your drawings to what imagery you eventually saw? Pretty far away. They were really much more like uh, Wolfman. They were they really looked like 1940s <laughs> Wolfman from the from Hollywood. Um, but I've since, you know, I've because I still draw a lot. I still draw Sasquatch quite often. What You know, notions of what it might look like. It's fascinating. Of course, the idea of a some report saying seven feet all the way up to 15 foot tall, hairy ape-like creature that roams yeah. the Northwest or the coasts in the woods. It's enough to capture, uh, I guess, anyone's imagination, but you have since moved. You're, you've made it to the coast. You've made it to the Pacific Northwest Sasquatch country, the yeah. heart of it. I'm in the heart of it. I'm in the thick of it. And has that changed anything <laughs> for you? I mean, you, you, you've gone from as far away as you can be from this mythical creature moving into the heartland of where their stories have been here for hundreds of years. It hasn't really changed anything for me. I'm still fascinated. I'm still, um, yeah, I'm still terrified too. Like I'm not somebody who like I've, I've been invited. People say, well, why don't you come out with us? We're going to do a, like a, we're going to go on a Sasquatch hunt. And I'm like, that's the exact opposite of what I, what I want to do. I want to see film and or videotape of a Sasquatch from a safe distance. I want nothing to do with the thing. I'm just, I just want him to be real. I, I think that's fair. There are so many things in the woods that I'm terrified of that, that are nowhere near as uh, potentially dangerous as a Sasquatch. Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of afraid of raccoons. So I, I don't think I would do well if I were to round the bend and come face to face with an eight foot tall, hairy man ape, you know, I would, my heart would just stop. Well, I wouldn't feel the, a, a moment of satisfaction of, ah, yes, it exists. And then I would drop dead. But worth it. Worth oh, it yeah. all the way. I mean, if you got to go sometime, at least going a little smug, a little happy and smug is not a bad way to go. Well, that kind of brings me to my next you know, topic. You, you're saying it would be terrifying, which is yeah. fair. Seeing a giant creature, even if it was an herbivore, would be terrifying to me. But I think you're... Am I wrong in saying that your version of it might be uh, aggressive and vicious or uh, territorial? Yeah, territorial. Like it would, it would rather avoid people if possible. But if you come rooting around into their territory, there's going to be trouble. And by all accounts, by many accounts, there's a lot of warning ahead of time. That's I, I'll give this to the Sasquatch. I appreciate that, that it's not just a tear your head off and ask questions later kind of situation. There's a lot of rock flinging. There's a lot of clubbing of uh, tree trunks, you know, whacking, like uh, stick knocking, that kind of thing. A lot of and then, um, you know, aggressive bush rustling and and yowling and things like that. So by all account, they're giving you every manner of opportunity to turn on your heel and scram. And that's up to you whether or not you have the, the sense to keep plowing forward as these rocks are winging by your head. Or do you go, yeah, I should maybe get the deuce out of here. I've watched a great deal of these uh, 
documentaries you can find on Amazon and YouTube of these amateur hunters. Of, oh, yeah. uh, and they're exactly what I was hoping for. And the people that were, are going out into the woods to hunt this mythical beast, a lot of them say it's uh, to protect the cities, to protect folks, people that are scared. Uh, they're going out there to, you know, help deal with that fear. Uh, but one thing that they kept on bringing up was the stench. Yeah. That for some reason in the last 30, 40 years, that has been something attributed to the Sasquatch as though it was, you know, we didn't see it. We didn't see tracks. We didn't hear it, but we smelt it. And that's enough. Like they tried to add a dimension that has just been, I think it goes back farther than that. Like in Florida, the creature is known as the skunk ape. It, it goes, uh, I think it it's, that's a longer part of the history than um, even some of the, like, uh, you know, early settler accounts talk about the stench uh, like this, you know, smelling it before you see it or, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. So it's not as new a wrinkle as, as you're purporting. I don't know what kind of misinformation you feel you have the right to thrust upon your listeners. Well, it's base level research. That's old hat. That's, that's been around a long time. And you can imagine, I wouldn't expect, like if I lived in the woods 24 hours a day, I wouldn't be super fussy about making sure I bathe regularly. And, you know, you probably, you're going to have a bit of a funk, especially if you're covered in, you know, like you got a beard. If you don't wash your beard for a couple of days and it's got yogurt or something in there, that's got to be. Even after be, a stew. Even after, after a stew. After a stew, there's there's residual smell. Yeah. Never mind disemboweling a deer. Well, half the stories I keep hearing, keep hearing through these documentaries are people's uh, interaction with the victims of a Sasquatch attack. Somehow, you know, their dog, when they were hunting, scared the Sasquatch away and they've come across the carcass of a deer or a boar with an impossible injury. Uh, But I'm the product of the generation that media and movies have taught me that the Bigfoot has a chance of being charming. He's not necessarily this bloodthirsty. Until I started this research, I had no idea that there was any stories of it being uh, bloodthirsty at all. I assumed that this was the gentle giant. It was rebranded in my youth as a representative of uh, saving our forests. Yeah. Moving in with the Hendersons, some hijinks, that kind of thing. Um, but I think I, I'm going to take umbrage on behalf of the Sasquatch of the, your characterization of bloodthirsty. Cause I don't think that's the situation any more than, you know, like a, anything that derives part of its diet from carnivorous activity. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's like, when I hear the term bloodthirsty, I think more evil, like, ah, I got, I got to do me some killing. You know, I don't think it's that. I think it's a bloodthirsty the same way a, a bear would be bloodthirsty. I call a bear bloodthirsty. bloodthirsty? I, stay, I stay with that. Anything that's willing to eat me is bloodthirsty in my mind. It should be treated as such. You're, you're projecting your your want of evil on this thing. It's, it's not a want of evil, but it is it is a scary thing culturally. Stories of hairy men of the wild have existed in every single culture. And the argument that a lot of people take is, well, they've created this scary, hairy man on the fringes of our society as a warning of what happens when you leave the society boundaries. Whereas I've always taken it as there's this much smoke. There has to be truth. There has to be fire somewhere. These stories can't exist universally and not have some truth to them. Yeah, I don't know if I I don't know if I agree with that because I, I think that can happen. I think 
Uh, psychologically, uh, I think that we, you know, as a species, share a lot of traits. Wherever you're from geographically and whatever your cultures are, I still think that we share a fair amount of similar psychological makeup. And I, I think that if it's inherent in some of us to create the notion of a scary, giant, hairy man thing in the woods, I w- it wouldn't surprise me that 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 same psychological tweak could be in, in other cultures and other uh, geographical locations. Um, so I don't know if I'm on board with you on that, but I do like there's, there's too, there's too many um, reports that seem credible to me. And that's, that's the extent of it. They seem to me to be credible. And I understand, I can appreciate this isn't going to hold water in a court of law or in any kind of scientific debate, but it seems to me there are a number, there are too many plausible and believable accounts for me to dismiss it out of hand. And then when you, when you fuel in with that, the fact that I would love for it to be real, um, it, it, it really, it, it, that's, what put, that's what puts me where I am today on this kind of precipice of belief. Because I do like, I enjoy some evidence, um, some irrefutable evidence when, before I take a stand on something. But I think also psychologically as people, we are prone to believe we, we, whether it's gods or whatever, we just faith of some kind. And for me, it's kind of like this. I want to believe so bad. And there is very compelling, compelling, not irrefutable, but compelling evidence to me um, that just keeps me right here, right in this pocket of belief. Now, is it, is it the first-hand accounts? Is it the plaster casts of feet? Is it as far back as the Patterson-Gimley film? What is it? What what evidence has been enough to sustain you? The Patterson Gim, the Patterson Gimlin film, is still very compelling to me because I've seen people try to duplicate it, and like you know when you you know when you see some of these footages of like the guy in the suit thing. How long does it take you to go? Oh, that's a guy in a suit. Like an eighth of a second. (laughs) And there's something about the Patterson Gimlin film. And like, like a biologist, Grover Krantz, who was a, who was a, he was a believer in the Sasquatch and he was a, a, a anthropology professor, I believe university of Washington. I think he was one of the big believers who kind of first brought a scientific background to it. Jeff Meldrum is a guy who's, who's doing that on an ongoing basis now. And one of the things for him was he, he said, you know, you can always look for the elbow shoulder to elbow to wrist ratio. And that's one of the things that always jumps out when you see a guy in a suit or a guy trying to fake the elbow shoulder wrist ratio, it takes an eighth of a second. You're like, yeah, that's you, not. You immediately can smell that it's fooey. <clears throat> so, you know, for this Gimlin film, Patterson Gimlin film to be taken in the 60s and us t- today not be able to duplicate something that looks as real to me. And I've had friends who look at it and go, ah, oh, it's just a guy in a suit. But I, I honestly feel like I'm fairly objective in this regard. And I've seen maybe a dozen guy in a suit videos. If I was prone to believe 
I would think maybe half of those would be real. I've never seen one that makes me go, that looks, that looks pretty, that would be hard to fake. And I've, and I've seen people try to duplicate that exact bit of footage, even in the same, they go to bluff Creek, they go to the same area and, you know, in an eighth of a second, you're like, well, that looks nothing like it. That looks like a guy in a suit. My very first viewing of the video without it being uh, through kind of societal osmosis, when I sat down for the first time to see it, I thought immediately this is a man in a suit until I rewatched it. And then I, it became harder and harder for me to keep explaining that away. And then I watched YouTube videos of people trying to disprove it. And again, it never, it almost every time they tried to disprove it, it made me feel like there was something more to it. It lends it more credence. As soon as you see it compared to somebody trying to duplicate it, it it really, it really makes it seem more real. It's very, they're counterproductive there. And then the other thing, there's a, I'm not sure how to say his last name, Bob, Hermanius, I think, is the guy who claims that he was in the suit. Um, and they had they had him go out and try to do the same thing. And that was to me, that was he was trying to match the walk and it kind of wasn't the same. And I don't know, like it's. So anyway, to me, that's that's still as compelling as it gets. And then there's another piece of, you know, I wouldn't even call it. I don't even think you could call it evidence, but. And this is readily available on YouTube or other places. If you if you search for um, Sasquatch nine one one call, so it's just a it's just a call to a nine one one center of a guy who is uh, and he sounds like you know he sounds like kind of rural small town hard ass who is probably not prone to being afraid. All right, <laughs> of anything. And he becomes, over the course of this conversation, terrified because he's calling up to say there's something, send somebody out here. There's, some, there's somebody or something running around my place. He lives on the edge of town in this rural community and it's setting off his motion lights and he's catching glimpses of it. And they're asking him what it is and, what, and he doesn't want to say I think we've got a goddamn Sasquatch here because he knows nobody's coming and I think he's a crackpot. So he won't, he won't say it. He's just saying something big. It's running on two legs. It's fast. I couldn't catch it. And they're saying, you know, have you had problems before? And he said, something killed my dog last week. And, and he's, and then as he's on the conversation, he, he loses it. He, because he says He's it's staring at him and standing in the yard, staring at him right now. And he's losing it. He's screaming, get somebody down here. And so it's very interesting to listen to that uh, call because if that guy is faking it, he should win all the awards. Like Meryl Streep could not come anywhere near this guy's believability. This is the best actor in the world. So he's either seeing something or he's thinks he's seeing something that is giant and menacing and has killed his dog. And it's, it's really interesting. And like I say, it's by no means evidence because it's just a phone. There's a recording of a phone call, but it is so um, the hair in the back of my neck is standing up as I'm telling it to you. I, I keep thinking about it and I've, I've played it for a bunch of my friends over and over. 
And by the end of it, they're like, that dude is terrified. That guy is seeing something. And it's, you know, and also just from on a personal standpoint, <clears throat> I used to date a gal who had relatives on the island, Vancouver Island, out here on the West Coast. A lot of logging family, you know, generations of loggers. And uh, the one guy, the kind of patriarch of the uh, of the family, he was a big fella, and uh, he was a real like. He was a funny guy and he was also very snarky and he had a real like biting sense of humor. And if you ever said anything that was stupid, <clears throat> he just had no qualms about roasting you, you know, quickly. And <clears throat> because I'm fascinated by this kind of thing, after knowing him for a couple of days, maybe I broached the subject with him just in kind of a, I said, listen, you know, you've been in the logging industry and you've been living in the woods your whole life and everything. I said, what do you think about the, you hear these reports of Sasquatch and Bigfoot. And I kind of put it to him in a real, you know, kind of neutral way. And, and he, it was like, I was asking him about the weather. He said, well, there's something out there. He said, I've never seen anything myself. I know guys who've worked, uh, worked with, have seen stuff and, you know, you hear things and uh, he said, I've never seen anything, but I've, I've heard stuff I can't explain. And I, I know, I know some pretty stand up guys who, uh, who don't scare easy, who have come out of the woods terrified a few times. So he said, I think there's something to it. There's something out there. He just said it. So it wasn't like he was trying to jerk my chain or any, and he didn't roast. If he didn't think there was something out there, he would have roasted me. I have no question about it. And he just took it. So matter of factly that, that, that always stuck with me. Just the there, fact that he said, yeah, there's something out there. There is something about uh, a survivor of a, an incident of, you know, a viewing, a, a sighting, a hearing that when they're so sincere about it, I'm happy. I'm not, you know, traveling the coast interviewing people to talk about the Sasquatch because every single story would prevent me from ever going back into the woods. I believe people who believe I, I find it very compelling. I, I find it difficult to look somebody in the eye who truly believes something and call them a liar. And so many of these stories you know, involve people that truly believe what they saw. The person on the phone, whether he's seen a Sasquatch or not, he believes what he has seen. Yeah. Is this great, uh, <laughs> this great and just, ape. And the fact too, that he did not want to say that it was not a person, but they can. And so they're saying to, are you saying it's a person? Sir? And he's like, well, it's, he's really big. It's he's And there's, he, he's they're saying is it a, 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 a white man or a black man he says he's all he's all in black he's all and they're like he's dressed in black i i just see like he doesn't know how to he doesn't want to he doesn't want to frame this in a way that won't get him help and he you can tell he's like if i say this is if i say i'm looking at a bigfoot they're not going to send anybody and I'm terrified. So he's just saying it's a big guy. He's like six foot nine or something. I don't know. Send people with guns. Yeah. And he, and he, when he sees that, and one of the things that makes me laugh in it too, is the, uh, because he's, he's getting more and more scared. And then when he freaks out, when he sees something, get somebody out here right now. And she's like, what the operator's like, why? What, what's he goes, it's here right now. It's looking at me. And you hear her go, Oh, Oh, <laughs> That just that I wait for that every time I listen to it because it just 
in the, in the milieu of the terror that's going on, just have somebody go, uh oh, cracks me up. I have difficulty uh, if given the opportunity to talk to somebody on the 911 while looking at a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch. I would have difficulty believing what I've seen because it does feel so unnatural. I would have that, not even fear for not getting help, but I've had fear of sounding ridiculous. You know, yeah. Could it possibly be what I'm seeing? Am I just, do I just not know what a bear looks like? Is this yeah. just my first bear experience? Yeah, that's the thing too. And then, so you, there are a number of reports from people who, you know, have hunted bear their whole life. And they're like, no, don't, don't tell me this was a bear. I know, I know every move that a bear makes. I'm very familiar with it. Right. So, yeah, you get those people that have just experienced woods people who've lived their whole life and have hunted and um, yeah, they're seeing something they don't understand or can't explain. With your travels, you've traveled to every remote part of Canada where these stories are, I guess, richer. Have you ever interacted with somebody who had their own personal, let me sit you down and tell you about the time I was in the woods story. Yeah. And uh, a couple of times and they're never anything too dramatic. It's never like, you know, I have never had anybody tell me that they were, you know, pursued or anything like that. You hear some of these stories in person. I've only ever talked to two people who said they saw something that they don't know what it was. It just seemed like, you know, big, dark, no clothes moving through the woods. Um, so not, nothing too dramatic and nothing that you would go, well, that's a load of crap, right? It's very, Within the parameters of believability, certainly. It, it's, it's a difficult science uh, to try to, you know, cryptozoology, because so many people are doing genuine research, trying their very best to prove whether or not these animals exist, but they have to contend with a huge amount of hoax, hoaxes and pranks mm -hmm. and fakes <clears throat> that other sciences and other studies don't really have to deal with. You know, there's very rare that an anthropologist had to find this small village, but there were six fake villages around it to kind of mislead yeah. you uh, about exactly. what that culture is. So when I talk about like uh, Grover Krantz or Jeff Meldrum, um, who are accredited scientists, um, you, you, you have to kind of, and there's no way without knowing them, like how much are you fueled by your desire to believe? There was a great, there was a great case that was, um, was kind of fascinating and in a weird way. I felt bad for the guy. I can't remember his name. This is, this has to do with UFOs though. And he was a uh, professor at Harvard, I think. And he believed that he had, you know, with all his heart that people were being abducted by aliens and going through this similar experience. And he was saying that there was one of the things that he used to back up his belief in all this was that he would talk to them and they were hypnotized. So they, they couldn't be lying to him because he had them hypnotized. So they absolutely believed what they were saying. And then their stories were so similar yet. They didn't know each other. There's no way they could have similar stories. And anyway, he, started interviewing this one woman who claimed to have been abducted. He hypnotized her. She told him what happened. It fell all within the same parameters of the stories of other people. That he, and he was giving a lecture to, to other professors, I think, 
I can't remember who the lecture was. Anyway, he brought this woman along because she was basically the person that he was talking to most recently and the most believable. And, and he brought her as evidence. And as he introduced her, she, she came up to speak when he introduced her. And she basically said, yeah, I'm making it all up. I'm a reporter from such and such magazine or such and such newspaper. And I'd been hearing these stories and him saying it would be impossible to fake about it. So I, I just thought, well, I'll see. I'll see how much, how far could I get away with faking this guy out? And sadly, he just bought it hook, line and sinker. I've, and it, it, of course, humiliating for him. So, you know, being accredited only goes so far, I think. That's why I almost I feel it's more compelling to me. Like, it's interesting when you get like an academic who, who has sound, reasoned arguments to back up your belief, the thing you want to be true. Um, that's very comforting in a way. But you do have to be... Uh, you have to be logical about it. And that's why I've, I take, for whatever reason, it hits me much more when you talk to somebody that's just like a regular Joe going about their business, nothing to gain. And they just tell you something that's really compelling and creepy and weird. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's when you talk about aliens, you, you know, there's enough scientists out there who will tell you, well, mathematically, let me explain yeah. to you why there has to be aliens. Yeah. And that's fine. But that'll never feel as good. It'll never, you know, taste as good as somebody who says, oh, I've had a close encounter of the first kind and I can tell you what they feel like. You yeah. know, it's that's always going to feel like it has more meat on the bones uh, than the theoretical professor who's refusing to quite pick a side. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as humans, nothing compels us more than story. It's one of the things that has, you know, driven us from the days when we were living in the caves when we climb down from the trees for the first time, stories has been a part of our culture and we, and they resonate with us. And it's why, you know, here we are in 2022, we're still buying books and watching movies. And, you know, because story for whatever reason is, it should almost be in that, you know, the hierarchy of need where, where it's like, you know, the, the top five where it's like oxygen and water food, shelter, shelter, whatever, procreation, whatever those five it's Maslow's I, hierarchy of needs. I think, I, I, I think um, the story needs to be in there. Maybe not in the top five, but I think if we don't have stories in our life, we rot as humans. It's so, and it's one of the things that, that, you know, drives us around the bend too. Like people will buy into stories. They'll, they'll hear a story and believe it and buy into it, you know, so deeply um, cause it's just, it's kind of ingrained in us. So there's never going to be any kind of, um, academic intellectualizing that's going to carry the same weight as like somebody in a dark corner of a, you know, a I want to see the scar. I want to see somebody in a shady bar, pull up their sleeve and show me the scar from their interaction. Yeah. I, I want that. I want one of those moments. Cause I guess this is the next Question, if, if you don't believe already, what evidence would it take for you who wants to believe it? What evidence would you have to see personally to flip that switch in the brain to say, okay, it's, it's real? Yeah, I would, I would probably need to see. Like, I could be uh, brought on board 100% with um, video evidence that had been, um, had been analyzed by people who 
who create fakery, you know? And if, so if somebody was out in the woods and they had clear video footage of a large hairy creature, so you're seeing what you think you're seeing. And then that video is then analyzed by the top experts in the field of, uh, of digital fakery to look at that and say, yeah, no, I know, I know how to make a fake and that's not it. Um, at that point I would be, you know, I'm already so close anyway. It would take very little of a push to get me there, but that kind of, I think that would, you know, I always try to be somewhat logical uh, and, and, you know, be, I don't even know if skeptical is the right word for me, but you want to be, you know, responsible I don't want to be in your, in yeah, your responsible. That's the perfect word. I want to be responsible in, in my belief system. And um, that would do it for me. I don't need to let me stress this again. I don't need to be in the woods seeing the thing come face to face with it. I don't want that to happen. I will never go on a Sasquatch hunt. I will never be on finding Bigfoot. That show. Genuinely. One of my questions uh, was if you'd ever be compelled or could be compelled, but you see it as a dangerous wild animal. And uh, I have no, I have no desire to go swimming with sharks either. Yeah. Sam, I'm with you. It's their house in this amazing age. When we can sit back in the comfort of our TV and watch, you know, of our home, watch it on TV. Uh, that's good enough for me. I don't want, yeah. It's uh, like, a, to, to me, it's like, a, hey, why don't we go out and have a gunfight? Wouldn't that be fun? No, would not be uh, fun at all. Why well, we could get hurt. Something bad could happen. That's how I feel about Sasquatch hunting. No, thank the, you. The best case scenario is arguably the most dangerous part of it. You know, the yeah. best thing you could hope for is coming face to face with this creature. And uh, I, I'm not willing to do things where the best case scenario could be death. Yeah. And also, I feel like even if even if things didn't go sideways, so you're out there in your little pup tent and it's three in the morning and you hear some rustling and you open up the flap, you know, the tent, you peek outside and you see this monstrous, hairy thing eyeballing your tent. And then it walks away. Um uh, you know, I don't know that that wouldn't just drive me around the band, like send me into madness just for the rest of my life going. Did I see what I thought I saw? And it would certainly terrify me. My blood would run cold. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't need that. I have enough uh, excitement. As a child, I remember being in the bathroom at home alone and another door in the house shut. And it affects me still to this day that I can't explain it. I, my, my dog was in the bathroom with me and I'll never be able to understand exactly what happened. Hopefully it was a breeze, but it's enough of an unknown that it, you know, it'll stick with me. And Did I, you I, stay I, in the bathroom for a long time. Afraid to, come, afraid to go out. No, no, no. It was more stomach stuff, but yeah, I was in there for a bit. No, but I mean like after hearing the noise, <laughs> Yes, I, I, I heard the noise and stayed in fear, looked at my small uh, Lassa Apso dog who was in there with me. And uh, we waited. And then I, I went around the house looking for what could have shut the door, but no windows were open. And then I went to a friend's house because I was genuinely uncomfortable of not being able to explain uh, this thing that had happened. And I am truly a skeptic. I have to see it to believe it. And an unknown. How, how like old that, were you at this uh, time? How old? 13 or 14. I was, I was in middle school. Uh, and old enough to be home alone, but I was a very small child. So it, it took till I was 13 or 14 till that was allowed. Uh, and then, yeah, sat down and, and the door shut in the room and, uh, and somewhere in the house. Uh, 
And, I, and my, did you share this uh, story with family immediately upon their coming back home? Absolutely. And they said, you, you, you know, you're, you're just scared. You're hearing things. It's right. the wind. There's logical things to explain what happened. And I, that's enough for me. I, adults told me it was not to be scared of. And so I was not scared of it. Thankfully, I don't traverse the woods. I'm no love of hiking. I'm very much a, an indoor cat. Uh, so I don't have those stories of hearing something in the woods I can't explain that I'll then have to carry with me forever. Yeah, I remember being, I remember how terrified I was when we were, I was in a camper van with a buddy and his mom uh, camping and a bear was, you know, we could hear a bear was rummaging around outside, probably just a small black bear. Um, but knowing what it was, <laughs> You, you know, without the mystery element of it, completely terrified. So if you take that and compound the, I don't know exactly what's happening on top of that. Uh, yeah, I, I can't, I'm not built to deal with that level of fear. You know, I was never, I always laughed at the no fear t-shirts. I was like, wow, we are very different. You and I. I used to do a bit in my stand-up. I used to do a bit in my stand-up about that shirt, about the no fear. Like it's, it's, don't be proud of that. We're supposed to be afraid of things. The only, the only way you can have no fear is no brain, right? That's the only. We're supposed to, as a species, we're supposed to be afraid of things. It's how we advance. It's why we don't run headlong into a train. Fear is good. Fear is healthy. But you know, here's the here's the other thing is that. Um, because I'm kind of, uh, I'm generally interested in the paranormal. This particular window, the Sasquatch, has really snagged the bulk of my attention. And I am terrified of the notion of being in the woods with this thing. You could much easier, it would be much easier for you to convince me to sleep in a supposed haunted house. You know, like if you can spend the night in this haunted house, we'll give you 10 grand or whatever those contests are. You know, I wouldn't be in a rush to do it, but I, I, the no, it doesn't terrify me on any level the same way as going in the woods where a Sasquatch might be. Well, that's fair. I'm not afraid of ghosts, whether they exist or not, because I'm definitely in the hierarchy of fears. Uh, I put people above them. So me being trapped in a haunted house, I think my instinct will still be, I hope there's no people in here with me. <laughs> uh, I think in the woods, even your best case scenario of, it's not a Sasquatch. There's enough dangers in the woods. There's reason yeah. why we have these morality stories to keep us out of the woods, beyond going beyond the periphery, uh, peripheries of society. I have, I have kind of a theory, and I don't know. I've done a little research to see if anybody else has kind of thought of this. I haven't seen it anywhere. If any of your listeners have seen this or track it down, it would be great to, to, to read. I've always had this notion of the 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 legend of the werewolf coming from being rooted in Sasquatch where it was in a land, you know, the, the notion of the werewolf comes from a place where, when gorillas and apes weren't really known. And so if you had to give it a framework, you'd say it was like part man, part wolf, you'd probably go wolf, right? You're like, what biggish hairy thing is out there in the woods? Um, but it's walking around like a man. So it's part man, part wolf. I've often wondered if that's where the legend of the werewolf comes from, is people seeing um, kind of a Sasquatch type creature, 
you know, a thousand years ago. It's rooted in the same thing. The idea of a wild man. Yeah. Right. And if you, you know, up until the early 1900s, gorillas were thought to be a myth to Europe. Uh, uh, they were still a mythical creature uh, of these men, hairy men that walked the woods. It makes sense that your your version of wild at that point would have been wolves and dogs. And, yeah. you know, a hybrid between wild and man is what we are seeing. And that's what we're afraid of. How can yeah. this exist without the rules of our society? Yeah, exactly. So. I don't know. I'm sure I'm not the first uh, genius to stitch this theory together. So, but I've looked, I've, I've tried to see if there's anything written on it, but I, nothing I've found. See, this is where we start coming into my ignorance. Are there stories involving the Sasquatch? So I've heard stories of some people say, uh, you know, some first nations to believe the Sasquatch to be a, a mythical being that can come and go from different realms. Uh, there's people who've said, Oh no, the Sasquatch are actually aliens. They, they've been here for a while, dropped off by aliens. Uh, and then there's people who say this is an unknown creature. Are there stories about the Sasquatch that has it compared to a man converted, a man gone wild? Not that I've, not that I've ever heard. I mean, I've heard these theories about like what, a, I've also heard that humans were the, were the offspring of Sasquatch and alien. I've heard people say that too. Like, and and visually you go, oh, I, I see why you, you go there. Cause you, you take the big, big hairy, you know, the big thing covered in hair and you take the tiny little thing with no hair. Well, what would you, if you put those two together, Oh, a medium sized thing with a little bit of hair. Well, it, you know? The math checks out. It's, the it's math the checks out. I don't know what more proof you need. So if the Sasquatch does exist, let's say in this moment, Sasquatch exists, has been here. All the stories true. Which way do you lean? Is it an animal bred of earth? Is yeah. it something supernatural? No, it's, it's absolutely a natural thing that has just been, you know, the predisposition to avoid humans. Like one of this, one of the anthropological, you know, sciencey kind of theories about Sasquatch, because we know that there was a, we know there was a giant ape called Gigantopithecus black eye. There is, there's some argument about, how giant this giant ape was, but there's no getting around it. I, all consensus is it a pretty big ape. Um, so Gigantopithecus black eye sharing the same um, food sources as Homo sapien, but Homo sapien having the bigger brain and the ability to create weapons and use artillery in the battle, um, chased the giant ape up into the mountains and they, you know, generations, 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 hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, maybe thousand years of Gigantopithecus black eye and Homo sapiens battling for the same turf led the Gigantopithecus to develop a natural aversion, just avoid humans. And they trucked up into the mountains. And to this day, they have an inherent, uh, you know, a want to avoid humans. And this is their turf, so they're very, very good at it. They can hide and be and go unseen. And if you just look at the, because one of the things that I, I always shake my head at when if I if somebody ever finds out that I'm interested in Sasquatch and that kind of thing, sometimes you'll get people who are 
really like an, ah, you're a moron for thinking, you know, and they'll say, I've heard this from a number of people. They say, well, we've been everywhere in this. There's no uncharted territory. You go like, how can you walk around and be that dopey? Like if you just, I always use this as an example. If you just fly between Vancouver and Calgary, the two largest Western cities, just in that, and you only look at what you can see out the your airplane window, which is not a big window. You're looking at, uh, you know, millions of square miles of thick bush that has never had a human foot on it in the in the history of the planet. The vast majority of that dirt has never had a human walk on it. If something was smart and wanted to hide and was good in the woods, it would be incredibly easy to live undetected. You know, there, I can't remember how many, somebody said, somebody told me one time, or or I read one time, how many large, shiny aircrafts have crashed between Vancouver and Seattle and how few of those have ever been discovered. So we're talking about something, you know, something, 80 to 100 feet long or more, this shiny metal. Can't find it. We have metal detecting equipment. Can't find it. So if satellites everywhere can't find it. Eight feet covered in hair and good at hiding. I really like your chances. Well, thank you very much uh, for chatting. Well, I'm happy that we were able to prove it here today beyond a shadow of a doubt. Well, it, it's one. It's refreshing to talk to. It's nice to talk to a skeptic, and be warmed by the idea that you know what you're right. Not enough evidence for me to prove it. But then when I talk to an enthusiast, it's it sounds it feels more exciting. It feels it feels like the the better party to be a part of is the. Yeah, uh, it's more fun to believe. That's it's, for sure. It's scary, and I agree that I never want to interact with one face to face. But it's it's definitely not conclusive. Yeah. That's where I'm at too. I, I, I want very much for it to be real, but I can't put myself in the category of believer, but I, I've, I've yet to hear anybody give me any evidence that makes me go, Oh, you're right. It is impossible. And as long as I have that window, I'm, I'm, I'm in the camp of like, yeah, I'll read everything that comes down the pike. A few great takeaways and even more questions, but, uh, Overall, incredibly pleased that I had the opportunity to sit down with Brent. I learned a lot, and it was nice to talk about Bigfoot with some levity for a change, you know, as opposed to having to hear him rip Palmer in half. Did Brent give me every answer I wanted? No. In fact, he even made me challenge some of what I thought I knew. I mean, why does this Bigfoot behave differently than the stories we hear? Noah and Sarah didn't mention the smell, and they would have, and nowhere in my research does it mention that he speaks. I'll have to dive a little deeper, I guess. Thank you to Brent Butt for carving out some time with us. And if you want to keep up to date with what he's doing, at Brent Butt on Twitter and Instagram and on YouTube at The Butt Pod. If you have a Bigfoot story or encounter, I would love to hear about it. Shoot me an email at escapingdenverpod at gmail.com. And I'll be back next week with another episode of Escaping Denver. <laughs>